This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 438, a conversation with Eric Larson. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 438. It's our conversation with Eric Larson, as well as being the last episode that will debut in 2016. Uh, it's a little bit of... Um, uh, housekeeping. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is that in 2017, I'm going to be uh, a regular co-host for a new podcast coming out, um, probably debuting in the next couple of months, uh, where its primary focus will be to look at the Marvel Epic Collections, uh, something we recently spotlighted on a conversation with that I had with John Rhett Thomas, also known as Gormu on the Marvel Masterworks forums. Anyways, on that particular podcast, I'm going to be guest starring on certain episodes where we look at the Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collections, amongst others that will eventually come down the line. Um, and knowing that the first collection we're going to be looking at is uh, the Cosmic Adventures trade paperback uh, of the Epic Collections, I should say that, because technically there was an old Cosmic Adventures trade paperback which only had the Amazing Spider-Man issues. Um, well, because I'm going to be on that particular uh podcast i wanted to reach out well i had been trying to reschedule uh, an interview to be had with eric larson for a while uh, our our schedules never quite jive but i really wanted to have him on the show and uh knowing that i was going to be recording this episode uh coming up soon for the cosmic adventures epic collection i thought you know let's let's get eric on the show and talk about spider-man uh so obviously eric's done a tremendous amount of things in his career has some amazing work uh his uh, work on his creator-owned property uh, savage dragon uh is really something special uh the fact that he's taken that character in so many different directions and really allowed that the character and the concepts to grow and mature as he's grown and matured as an artist and as an, as a writer is really something else but unfortunately this will not be that conversation uh that a conversation where we delve more into his career and kind of do the the full breadth of his career um from the beginnings to its its current projects um is something that we'll hopefully be doing at some point in the new year perhaps january or february this episode however, is just an intense focus for the most part on his Spider-Man work. So we're talking Amazing Spider-Man, uh, we're talking his work on the Adjectiveless Spider-Man, which was just really the one arc, um, his return to Spider-Man in the late 90s, so we kind of talk about his approach to Spider-Man, the characters, the concepts, uh, some of the redesigns that he was responsible for, uh, adding Venom's tongue, where that kind of came from. Um, it's a really enjoyable conversation, I think you're really going to dig it. Um, so we'll get right into it in just a moment, but first, if you want to email me you can do so at comic shenanigans at gmail.com you can like the show on facebook rate and review us on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and also listen to us on stitcher so thanks again for joining us for this episode as we sit down with eric larson i think you're really going to dig it it's a great conversation talking about spider-man and his work on the title before we get right into it though happy new year this is the last episode of comic shenanigans for 2016 and hopefully we'll have a lot of good content coming your way in 2017 and on to the conversation with eric well, I guess the, the first question is, uh, when you, your first uh, Amazing Spider-Man work was working with Jim Owsley, what was that like? Well, I, in, in all situations, I just get a script. Okay. I, don't, I don't talk to anybody. There's, there's very, very little um, just back and forth with different people. That just that just doesn't happen that much unless you've been on a book a while and and there's there's gets to be a bunch of questions and then there gets to be some back and forth but for the most part that was just you you get a script and you go wow what do I what do I make out of this <laughs> um, and that I 
my my beef with it I, it was I thought it was kind of dumb. <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of a kind of dumb story because there's there's a couple passages in there which you just go oh, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's just that just the, the the logic of of that situation. You know, first you have Daredevil in a fat suit dressed as a kingpin. I've always had questions I mean, about that. <laughs> you know, it's like Daredevil's got. You know, he's got this mask which covers his his actual eyes, and he's a blind guy. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you showed his eyes, they would probably be the wrong color, and he'd be looking off at something weird because he's a blind guy. It's, he's not controlling which way his pupils are looking. He's, he's blind. That's just kind of how that works. They wander around on their own. So that whole thing was like, all right, well, that, this is nonsense. I'm going to be... I'm going to be the guy with his name on this story. This is this is pure dumb. There's there's no way I can make this look anything other than stupid. Um, <laughs> but you just you know you you do the best you got with it. Um, and and there there is also this passage in there where a rich guy gives a bum his watch. Okay. And. And the other guy who's who's with him just kind of goes, "Hey, what's up with you giving that guy a watch?" And he goes, "Well, by giving him that watch, I just killed four people or something." And he comes up with this weird conclusion that <laughs> the guy is the he, the watch is worth so much that somebody's going to kill him to take that watch because it's so valuable, and then they're going to. Because it's so valuable, they're going to get a lot of money, and then they're going to spend that money on drugs, and then they're going to overdose. So by giving him this watch, I just killed like three or four guys. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. There's certainly no guarantee that things are going to play out that way. That's ridiculous. So you're saying that, <laughs> that, you're saying that was, uh, wasn't Owsley's uh, best moment? <laughs> uh no, I, I just, I was just like, what? This doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I did, I did what I could with it. Um, they had, I'd seen some of the issues before, and I knew that it was kind of a, a rocky time on the book. Um, the writer, uh, uh, what's his name? Defoe. Yeah, DeFalco had just left and Ron Friends had just left. So they had started this gang war story and then they were, I think they had a falling out with, with Owsley and then they were just like, we're out of here. And they went and did, did Thor. They just jumped off that book and went and did somewhere else. But this story had started. So it, it kind of fell on Owsley to take the ball and run with it. And it just was kind of a train wreck of a thing. And all I could do was kind of hold on for dear life. They, they, uh, Alan Kupperberg ended up doing the issues before me and, and the issues after me. And I wasn't a huge fan of his work, but, um, I, but it did cause me to, to kind of examine it and go, what, the, what is there about his work? Is there some, is there a shaft of light? Is there anything cool to be found in his stuff? And what I got out of it was I, I still didn't care for his work very much, 
But all of his secondary characters were interesting to look at. Hmm. Whereas all my secondary characters all just look like Ken and Barbie with different haircuts. It would always be like, well, that's that's a clearly in shape, good looking guy, but he's got different hair. <laughs> and 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 so what I what I actually got from that and learned from that and took from that and used throughout really the rest of my career was that your your secondary characters can be interesting and and you can play around with that and have some fun with it and just be like oh this guy's got a huge nose and he's got a big old belly and he's wearing weird clothes and he's standing around doing this strange thing and it makes the pages more interesting to look at to have those extra characters be characters instead of just being you know mannequins with different clothes put on them how did the opportunity to do the issue of amazing spider-man actually come about because i mean it is even though it was a a title in transition it still was kind of the flagship spider book still a big deal um it it was and, and it was just desperation on the part of uh the the editor at the time because he had the rug pulled out from underneath him and he just needed warm bodies in there who could do stuff. So I had sent my samples around to pretty much anybody I could think of. Um, I had met Jim Shooter a year, a year earlier maybe and, and we had talked through doing a, a Thor story um, at a convention in Chicago. And so once I'd drawn that, I had these pretty awesome samples because it was just entirely playing to my strengths. It was two big dudes just kicking the crap out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, I got Hulk versus Thor just pounding the piss out of each other and I can show this to everybody. And that got me the job doing the DNA agents. And so DNA agents at that point was my regular gig. And so just be, because I'd done several books, I was able to kind of show people, look, I can do a bunch of stuff. And so the editor just called me up and was like, I need an issue basically in two weeks. Can you do it? And I was like, I'm your man. <laughs> so that was it. He just needed a warm body and I was a warm body. And and that is how a lot of these jobs end up coming, falling into the laps of, of various people. And what I should have done is uh, really pressed it afterward and just been a, a pest and just being, okay, what else you got? What else can I do? But um, at the same time, I showed stuff to uh, people at DC Comics and, and, and around. And so what had happened is somebody at DC had contacted me and said, well, we got to... We've a regular book. We've got something that's that's opened up. If you want to do that, we got a we got a regular gig for you. And I was like, all right, I gotta I gotta take the regular gig. What I didn't really realize at that point was, yeah, Spider Man's kind of a big deal, mm-hmm. and was you know it, it it had I taken that book, um, it it would have provided a better living than than doing Doom Patrol. Uh, and I, you know, but I didn't pursue it. It wasn't something that I was like, I got to do this book. This is the one because because I was looking at it as well. These guys are are promising me a regular gig, whereas the Spider Man guys w- weren't really doing that. But I should have just 
I should have just been knocking at that door because it's it's a better door. It's interesting to wonder how different that'd be. Such a different reality if that had happened, considering it wasn't that long after your you know your fill in there when uh, Todd took over the book. Yeah, I mean, how yep. different would that reality be? That, that would have been a very different reality because um, Todd at at that point um, he was kind of running around trying to uh, get something going too, and so he ended up. Uh, pursuing several different things and ended up doing the Hulk for a while and landed the G.I. Joe assignment and then ultimately got shit-canned off of that. Um, so it's like, oh, man, yeah, it would have been very different if, if I had ended up being the Spider-Man guy. Now, it's a good game. If we fast-forward a couple of years now, then you do another fill-in on uh, Amazing Spider-Man as part of the Assassination plot, I believe. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Now, how did that come about? Because that's kind of in the middle of Todd's run, right near the tail end. Yeah, that that came about because Todd was Todd was blowing it. Uh, Todd needed help. Um, by that point, I knew Todd. We had met at, at conventions, and so um, uh, we were kind of in touch with one another, and we were back and forth and stuff like that. And I... Um, they they contact me and said we need this one we need it we need it pretty fast and so I said yeah sure I, I can do that <laughs> I'm I'm your guy <laughs> um, and that's kind of how 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 I was it's like yeah if you need if you need help I'm, I'm going to be a valuable thing for you so that I can get more work because ultimately it's about that you know uh, like everybody else that's just, just trying to make a living or doing this stuff and, and making yourself useful is a really good way to ensure that uh, you can stay around. You know, if you're not useful, then you don't, you don't, you don't get much work, you know, because they can't depend on you. But mm-hmm. if you're super dependable uh, and you're willing to rise to an occasion like that, then you become this valuable thing for them, at least at that point, because it's, it's a very, it's a different animal now to some degree, um, but at that point, just with the the relationship that the these guys had with the printers, um, if a book was late, they had to pay a fine to the printers. So oh, books wow. had to be at the printers at a certain time, or there would be these fines that would be levied. Books were never late. Books never shipped ship later they would run an old issue of iron man in the pages of spider-man before they do that <laughs> um, so it, just being a guy who could who could help people out in a pinch was was super useful todd was under the gun needed a break he was looking at they were doing this bi-weekly thing which they did every summer and so they had he knew that it was coming up. He knew he had to do it, and he was running late on it. And so he had suggested me, and the editor gave me a call. I said I'd do it. Um, and then after I had drawn my issue, um, as it turns out, Todd hadn't finished the previous issue. No. So I had, was actually went up and visited Todd and helped out Todd on the previous issue. I was uncredited, but there was 
a bunch of places in there where um, just the character's costume wasn't penciled in and, and stuff like that. So I was going in since I had designed Solo's costume. Uh, I went in and I was drawing uh, Solo figures on all the different places where, where Solo was showing up because he, you know, he, he appeared first in Todd's issue, but mine was actually drawn first, which is where he was designed. So no. that's kind of how that works, which is kind of a crazy way. It, it seems crazy, but that's kind of the way that ended up working out. But. At this point, since you kind of knew Todd's style and you were kind of doing an issue in the middle, did you try and adapt your style to have yeah. a, more of a visual consistency? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea, at least for that one, was to try and, and make it more um, more consistent so that it wasn't completely out of left field. Um, and there was actually a couple places in there where I had drawn really Todd-looking mouths, and I was sharing a studio with a guy who was inking it, and he was like, come on, man, don't, don't draw that mouth. It's, <laughs> and it's like, all right. <laughs> so I... I, I pulled it back a little bit than, than how, how crazy it, it had been. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to do that. Um, in a way, I kind of wish I would have gone harder on that just so that it would have been a little more seamless because really that's what you want when you're doing a, a story like that is you want the, the, the guy who's in the middle there to kind of blend in seamlessly with what's before. Now I'm, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I guess I'm doing a, a new podcast and I mentioned to previously off, off mic, um, that, uh, looking at the Marvel Epic collections, uh, specifically in, in the instance where the episodes where I'm going to be on, uh, the amazing Spider-Man volume. So the first volume that we're talking about on that podcast is the cosmic adventures book, uh, which includes a number of your early work, but after the two issues we've actually talked about. Um, when you were, were more or less kind of seem, um, I guess becoming the regular penciler, how did that conversation go when they were like, Oh, Todd's going to be leaving to launch his own spider book. We want you to be the new regular guy. Um, it was a, it was a tryout kind of thing where they, they had me do another issue of it just as they weren't, they weren't sure hundred percent where they were going and they were, they were weighing, uh, a number of people, um, I think there's a guy named David Ross who, who mm-hmm. is, is that his name? Something like that was, was he had done a, uh, an inventory job and I think he was in the running. I know I was in the running. Uh, I know they had Colleen Duran do an issue to see how she would do. Um, and for whatever reason they, I ended up getting the gig. Uh, and I think part of it was just, well, this guy can do it will do it and can kind of emulate what has gone before. So it's not going to be that much of an abrupt change from one guy to the next. Now it's interesting that you're, I guess uh, during this kind of tryout period, um, you're, it's part of the acts of vengeance story. So you're doing Spider-Man in a very kind of un-Spider-Man way. He suddenly has cosmic powers going up against Magneto. From a store, uh, an artist perspective, you get Spider-Man. You're maybe going to be the regular guy, and then you kind of get a weird type of Spider-Man story. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a few different things like that. My my earlier, very first Spider-Man story, I was I was super bummed because he was in the black costume, and mm. it was like, oh, 
finally get to draw Spider-Man and he's running around in this thing. <laughs> That's no good. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it, it is what it is. You're, you, you have to deal with whatever hand you're, you're dealt and make the most of it. Now, when you got the, the regular gig, and again, you, uh, you're picking up right after a, a Todd issue. His last issue happens. He gets to have, you know, the Hulk fight, fighting Spider-Man. And then the next issue, you're doing Spider-Man against Sentinels. Again, how did that make you kind of stretch your muscles? Um, well, the thing is, they don't necessarily send you what the other guy does. So I didn't know that. Hulk was in it until that was out. So, you know, really for me, I was just, it was just, hey, you're drawing another issue of Spider-Man and it's got this Sentinel guy in it. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll do the best I can with it. And that's kind of the gig is to try and make the most out of whatever it is you're dealing with. Um, what, did you actually design the Spider-Man as Captain Universe? There was not much to design. It was, the Captain Universe costume was already there. Mm. So it was just, you know, you're showing the Spider-Man face through the, the mask hole part of it. Is it, so. is it interesting to you that that's kind of shown up a lot in other terms of media? Like, I know in a bunch of different Spider-Man video games, they've used that design. Like, it shows up a lot. Um, there's been a few different things that I've done over the years that, that they've used quite a bit. Um, during the, the time that I was on Todd's Spider-Man book, I did two different design things. One was I had given him this weird big metal arm and, and stuff like that. They made a toy out of that. I actually have that toy. And, the, and then there was another <laughs> toy they made out of when I gave him these big web shooter cannons. Yep. So they made a toy out of that. It's like... You guys are just using everything you can find, and it's like, oh, that's cool. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'd be nice to get a check for it, but I don't care. Whatever. No, it's your stuff. Do it. When, uh, again, during this kind of initial run on Spider-Man, um, were, was, do you know if the writer was aware of the fact that you were, you had already done Punisher issues and suddenly you do a Spider-Man Punisher team-up? I expect that that was the case. Yeah, I would think so, because also he was he had learned during the course of me doing the book that I that I was a fan of Nova, and I know the issue after I left um, suddenly had Nova showing up in it. I think that one was was just for me. Like here you go, like putting Nova in here. It's like yeah, I'm already off the book, dude. I'm sorry. Now, what was your working relationship with uh, Michelini like, considering you were on the book for you know over a year? Um, I would I would just get the the stuff and draw it. It was there was no real back and forth on it at all. His his plots were fairly open, um, and that he would describe page one, so you would go, okay, well that's the splash, and then he would say pages 2 through 22, and then he would just describe <laughs> what, what goes on there. Um, and in some cases, when he would get to the fight scenes, he would say, fight! <laughs> and, and, and not much more than that. Maybe this happens, maybe that happens. Now, um, as a younger artist at the time, did you like that openness, or would you have preferred oh, a little bit more direction? completely fine with that. I didn't 
Yeah, I'm, I had always been a guy who had written his own stuff for years, just on my own. So uh, having somebody just leave something vague like that, it's like, uh, that's awesome. I will, I will do that. But he didn't break it down even in terms of, you know, what happens on what page. So there was a lot of flexibility there. You could, you could take all the chit chat stuff and go on oh, and cram this all and, and try to eat through as much of this plot as I could can early on so that I can open it up towards the end of the book. And there's a lot of different things that I, that I did that way where I'm trying to be able to go, oh, I want to be able to do this. Or I want to be able to do that. How can I find a way of doing that? Like when I was doing the, um, uh, return to the Sinister Six story with, with, with Michelini. Um, there was nothing in there about there being, um, splash pages or, you know, full page shots of the characters, but Ditko had done that, done that in the annual where they had first appeared. So I was like, well, I want to do that. That, that just seems stylistically like it would be a, a cool thing to do to, because he had, a page of Spider-Man fighting Craven. I should do a page of Spider-Man. I don't even Craven. I think was dead by that point. But what, whoever the yeah. the man was, Hobgoblin, I guess. Um, and and like that, you know, I gotta do, I gotta do a page where he's fighting the Green Goblin or or uh, Doctor Octopus, whoever it was. I was always curious about that because I remember reading that and I read the an- the original annual and so it's nice to know that like that that was an intentional vibe on your on yeah your that was definitely that was definitely me, me trying to do it and then he actually there, at one point he, I had talked to him and he said I wish you would have told me you were doing that I would have written that in there it's like all right well whatever <laughs> you weren't telling me what to do on any page why would that be. No, a question I actually had about that storyline is um, in the original annual, there was a lot of kind of weird hero appearances that it felt like Stan just kind of threw them in. But reading your your story, it felt like you were kind of emulating that, where you had a lot of different heroes just kind of popping in for like maybe a page or a panel and then just kind of taking off, just like the original annual. Was that intentional? I That's that would be a, a Michelini question. Um, I would assume so. And I, I think that's probably he noticed that more than, than, it, whereas I was noticing that the art end of it, where, where it was Ditko doing splash pages, he's probably looking at it writing wise, going, oh yeah, I gotta do this guest star thing, <laughs> um, which is which is kind of neat, you know, that we're both looking at it from from whatever angles we could to, to find some way to kind of make those th- two things bookends of each other. So, uh, did, did you enjoy actually kind of putting the Sinister Six together again? I mean, it'd been. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. That was fun. I, I'm, you know, I really the the th- part of the thrill of working on Spider-Man is to be able to work on all of those classic characters. You know, because it's like, ah, oh, geez, I've never got to draw Doctor Octopus before. What can I bring to the table with that character? What can I add that that wasn't there before or what can I do to, to change things up in some way or make it more interesting or, or, or whatever. Um, I had a friend who was doing, um, color forms, you know, what color forms are, they're yeah. sort of a, this toy that kids would 
play with it. I don't even know if it's fun, but (laughs) it's like these pieces of rubber that you could put on a background of various characters. And he was doing um, the, the movie Dick Tracy was just coming out. And so there were all these, he was doing all these designs of, of color forms were just drawings of the characters from Dick Tracy. So they're all wearing suits and stuff. And so that's where the, this idea of putting green, uh, putting Dr. Octopus in a suit that kind of came from the Dick Tracy movie and color forms. Really? Wow. I had no idea. I've always wondered cause I really love that design. Well, it's, it was one thing where it's like, why do they keep putting Dr. Octopus in tights? He's, he's so not the physical type that should be wearing tights. You know, it's like, well, what kind of clothing flatters a, a heavy set gentleman? Tights is not the top of that list. No, definitely not. <laughs> so it was like, well, what can I put him in that would, that would look cool? Um, you know, he's, probably not going to be wandering around in a lab coat all the time. It's, that seemed like, okay, that's a little weird. But the suit thing really seemed like, you know, a well-cut suit, he, that could look cool. Um, and, and I think other artists and other people who had been worked on him recently had kind of, I think, damaged him in a way. And that he, he sort of got progressively less effective over the years and progressively more just kind of a weaker guy who just get he's basically a punching bag by the time he came around for and my my take on that was to try and make him just a bigger menace than he had ever been and and a, and a lot of that was well what can I do with him physically that's going to make him you know a bigger menace and, and one of those was well let's not have him let's have his, him be so powerful that his arms are just kicking the crap out of Spider-Man and he's just not even not even really doing anything pouring himself a cup of tea and smoking a cigarette or doing whatever just <laughs> anything but really engaging in Spider-Man now, as part of that uh, return to, of the Sinister Six storyline, um, you mentioned your love of Nova. So there is a one-page splash of Nova just flying through. Uh, do you remember if that was in the script or something that you kind of lobbied to have in there because there's all these weird cameos happening? Um, he, it was in the script that Nova came through. It was not in the script that it would be almost an entire page. <laughs> Now, what was that like when, when you did that? Um, you got you got to, to do Nova, but he was in his kind of kid Nova kind of attire at the time. Was that kind of a bummer to have to kind of work with that version of the costume? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no two ways around it. I was just like, well, this is stupid, but <laughs> that's what he's wearing now. I didn't I didn't like the the kid Nova look, and I didn't like the kid Nova name. And and you know, but it's like all right. That's what they're doing. So, as I said, I guess you you, you play with what you're dealt, right? Like you you, yeah. get, you get to use them in some way, and I guess that's that's the good yeah, part. That's it. You, 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 those are the toys. This is what the toys look like. This is what you can do with it. Um, you know, and some stuff you do ask. You go, can I change this or or whatever? Um, with Doctor Octopus, I don't even remember asking if I could put him in a suit. I just, as I recall, I just kind of put him in a suit. 
seemed fine. Nobody, nobody belly ached about it. I guess there's some stuff that I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that, that, oh, I should be, I should be inquiring about that sort of thing. I just kind of did it. (laughs) What What was it like creating Cardiac? Um, it was it was kind of fun to, to create cardiac. Um, I thought I thought it was a cool looking costume. It's kind of looking at uh, uh, Kirby's Mister Miracle, who who had a similar kind of mask that just covered his face, adhered to his face, but you could just see his his mouth through it and just see his eyes through it. Um, I kind of wanted uh, him to have. A, a, a kind of costume where you couldn't tell his race uh, because of the costume. You know, it completely covered him in the same kind of way that, that Spider-Man did. And, and I thought, oh, that, that'll be a, just a different way of, of having this character presented. And, and it's also, you know, it's just easier to maintain some kind of a secret identity thing if you're not showing people everything about you, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, I think Spider-Man is one of those great comic book costumes where you where you can legitimately believe that, that somebody could get away with that. You know, Batman or Superman, you just kind of go, yeah, I don't buy it. You know, <laughs> I'm seeing your mouth, I'm seeing your eyes. You're that guy, you know? Whereas Spider-Man... And he's covered from it from head to toe. You know, Marvel sent me the Spider-Man costume that they have one year, and I wore it for the for uh, Halloween. Oh, really? And yeah, nobody knew. Nobody could tell that it was me wearing that thing. <laughs> you know, I actually did. Uh, I wore it again at a, a convention and wore it on a panel. Um. And I just, uh, they just introduced me as as Eric Larson, and I just walked up wearing the Spider-Man costume and did the panel as though I wasn't wearing it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, then, and then afterward, I, you know, I had people going, was that actually you? That didn't seem like that was you. And I was like, yeah, it's totally me. <laughs> With uh, with cardiac, um, I, you know, it's interesting. Once you mentioned the Mister Miracle connection, I had never thought of that before. But now looking at him, I'm like, of course, that's where the design influence comes from. Like, it's one of those interesting things. If you hadn't mentioned it, I may have never put it together. <laughs> Which, yeah, well, I, don't I, know what I, I like it. I like I like the design. I, I it's it is kind of a it's kind of a kind of a dopey idea in a way that that. It's like really a heart specialist going to call himself cardiac, huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like, does, is that how it always has to be? It's got to be somebody who's who's got a similar enough job or name to to do that. But you know, whatever. Along the lines of your kind of your um, your redesign of Doctor Octopus, um, what led you to kind of create the venom mouth or the venom tongue as we know it? You know. It's funny, but here's how that came about. Is um, Todd had done a cover of uh, 
this like a trade paperback of Venom versus Spider-Man. And it had come out and he had, he drew uh, Venom with his with his mouth open and his tongue showing. And in and I saw that cover and I was like, oh, he's giving him a tongue now. I'll give him an even bigger tongue. <laughs> and then what I, I didn't do is I didn't actually buy the book because I already had those stories and other things. So it didn't seem like I didn't feel like I need to own this thing because who cares? It's, you know, it's a, it's a cover. So I didn't buy it. And in my brain, he was going, I, my brain was telling me he's giving him a tongue, give him a bigger tongue. What I didn't realize until years later was, no, he just had him with his mouth open. It wasn't like a crazy tongue at all. You could just see a little red dot in there. That's all it was. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was just gonna, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses. I had no idea that I was creating something at all. Now, I guess editorial never asked you about it. it just kind of went through. Nope. Yeah. Nobody said anything. And um, the only uh, Michelini did say in a plot. Um, don't make him look so crazy. What fans love is the human being behind the mask and all this kind of nonsense. And I was, I took that as, I don't think so. <laughs> I just went ahead and did what I do. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. I was, because... I was, a, I was a dick, you know, <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways. I was just kind of a, a fly in the ointment always just like, look at that guy. He's kind of a shit disturber. What are you giving him work for? <laughs> it's funny because I'm looking at the last Venom arc you did, and yeah, his his mouth his mouth is like dislocated. It's so huge oh, it with the jaw. Worse than I was telling the colorist to give him yellow teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like look at this. Like the, between the first appearance and the second, his mouth gets way crazier, and and his teeth are yellow in the, in the second one. <laughs> yeah, because that was that was my thought. It was just every time he shows up, he's just going to get uglier. Um, for me, he was a pain in the ass to draw because I was just penciling the book. I wasn't I wasn't inking it. And as a character, you draw in ink. He's a lot. He's a gas. He's a lot of fun because you can just. You can just take a brush and whack in those those big black areas, and it's it's quick and it looks cool. As a penciling thing, it's a pain in the ass because you have to outline all those things and put in little X's and decide where your detail is going to be and whatever. And so for me, it was just like, oh man, this guy's a drag. Um, it's only been more recently that people have been having me do. Uh, commissions at conventions that I'm suddenly like, oh, yeah, he's, he's all right. He's kind of a, kind of fun to draw. Um, but at the time I was, I was not having it. In your, in your last issue of uh, amazing Spider-Man proper, there was, um, a portfolio at the back where it's your pencils with a, a lot of kind of guest inkers. What was uh, it, what was it like being inked by, you know, the likes of, you know, John Romita and Joe Sinnott? Oh, it's cool. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wish in retrospect that I had done, uh, that I had done more things geared towards those specific individuals. I know that, um, there's some guys I asked for too that they, that they didn't get. Um, the one pinup that had cardiac and, 
Captain Universe and 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 uh, Solo. Solo. Yeah. That I wanted. To, I wanted Steve Ditko to ink it, and uh, I thought that would have been I awesome. We could we could have got Steve because it's it's called you know none of the characters are Spider Man characters, but um, he didn't do it. <laughs> and then the uh, Daredevil, the Daredevil Spider Man one. Um, I had asked for Klaus Jansen. And they apparently did ask Klaus, but they didn't tell him who drew it. They just said, hey, do you want to ink a pinup in Spider-Man? Oh. And Klaus was like, no. <laughs> or whatever <laughs> he put it. Um, but then later on, he was like, oh, he kind of apologized to me, just going, oh, man, they didn't tell me you drew it. So it's like, all right, well, Sorry. No, was it was it known at the time when 350 came out that that was going to be your last issue of Amazing? Uh, I don't remember. I mean, it was known to me. I I, I knew I was I was taking off. Uh, yeah, it was it was always weird how how those things worked because I wanted to write and draw, and I wanted to write and draw Nova, and then they. They didn't approve it as that. They 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 were like, uh, well, maybe you could do it as a mini series or something. They they didn't approve it as a as an ongoing book. So um, because of that, I was I you know had they said you know approved regular ongoing book, I probably would not have gone and done Image Comics. <laughs> Interesting. But, but since they were just like, well, maybe a mini series, that had me going. Well, if I'm just doing a mini series here, I can do, I can do a mini series over at this new Image Comics thing, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And I can get come back and do Nova later on. Which I guess then, you, you did end up writing Nova in the late nineties. Yeah, yeah, I did end up doing that in the late nineties. But but that was supposed to be an ongoing series, whereas you know initially it was approved to be just a miniseries. It's like, I don't even know why they wouldn't have just given me it as an ongoing book at that point. There's really nothing to lose. But whatever. When you when you did come back and wrote Nova, why weren't you illustrating the book, given your love of the character? Or just didn't have time? Yeah, it was a time thing. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't fast enough at that point. Was, so. What was it like to be able to write uh, The Adventures of Richard Rider, even for a short run? I loved it. I, I, I really tried to do everything I wanted to do with those characters in the, the brief time that I had to do it. Um, you know, it, it, it was definitely something where I, where I was having a ball with it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, man. Well, I guess it was nice that you, at least he was, he was actually Nova at the time and not Kid Nova anymore. Yeah. It, it was weird because at the t- because also at that time they were doing the new warriors and the editor on the new warriors thought yeah these characters need to be new so they had redesigned Nova over in that book but they, we weren't redesigning it in his own book. That's and right, that, I that, forgot about that. <laughs> that that book kind of died, and my book kind of was a died right around the same time so it's it's kind of I think a a misfire all around and and, 
both could have been a little more successful had had there been a little more cooperation and had things worked out a little better. But whatever, you know. I, I ultimately you can't control what goes on with with other people. What was it about Nova that always kind of attracted you, or that really made him such a, a standout in your mind, and always the kind of a perennial favorite? Well, when I was a young guy, there weren't a lot of uh, first issues. Comics really, you never really got in on the ground floor of anything, because there was this long period of time during the 70s where all the comics had been going for quite a while. So when something got its own book, that was something of an unusual occurrence. And so, for me, as a guy reading comics, anytime something there was a, there's a new comic that would come out, I would devour it. And Nova actually lasted it a little bit, so it lasted long enough that I was intri- intrigued enough that I thought, wow, there's a lot of potential here, and it's, and some cool characters got introduced along the way. Um, yeah, I, I just. It, was, it, it kind of was my favorite book by default, just because there really wasn't anything else that I was able to get in on the ground floor with. And it wasn't just that it's a new first issue, it's that it's a new first issue which actually started something new. Mm-hmm. You know, Because there's a lot of books right now that are, that are doing first issues. That, that happens all the time. But those first issues now... Generally speaking, um, they're not doing anything. They're not starting anything. And new Spider-Man number one isn't the start of anything. No. He's been going on for you know fifty-five years or, or whatever it is. No, you're absolutely right. That's it's 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 becoming well amongst the big two at least. It's less common to get actual new issue uh, number one issues of something new. Yeah, it's like can we just start? Um, but that was a, that was a real appeal for for Nova was just hey it's 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 a new book and and you can you can be there from the beginning this will be cool this character's gonna be around forever just like Spider Man and and Daredevil and all the others that you're you're regularly reading. With uh, to jump back to Spider Man for a second, uh, you got to do a lot of classic villains during your your run on Amazing and also on uh, the Ejectivist Spider Man. Which uh, which villains do you wish you'd had a chance to get a crack at that you didn't get a chance to illustrate? I, well, the big one's the Green Goblin because mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't active at that point. He wasn't around at all, and and I really it wouldn't matter which Green Goblin it, it was just as long as it was a Green Goblin, you know. Um, I was not a, a fan of uh, resurrecting Norman Osborn or whatever I want to, but, you know, put somebody else in that costume, have it be another mystery, and let's, let's run with that. That would have been a lot of fun to do. Um, also didn't get to do Craven, but I, I, was, I wasn't a huge Craven fan to begin with. Um, but other than that, I think I, I think I got to work on most of his major villains. I'm trying to think when I was on the book. You, I mean, oh, the the fact that you did a Sinister Six storyline kind of knocks off some of the biggest heavies yeah, right there. I mean, it's like all the major ones, you know. I mean, there's there's 
inevitably going to be some, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to draw the kangaroo. That was a real, dang it. <laughs> you know, Man Mountain Marco. I really wanted to draw that. There's, there really wasn't that many cool big guys that I didn't get to draw. And even, even like, even the shocker got a cameo. He, he got a small appearance in one of the issues. Um, so he was still there, even though I didn't get to do an, an issue with him. And Kingpin was there, even though I didn't get to do an issue with him. He was, you know, he had small roles in a couple of the issues. Hmm. And I treated him completely different from the two different appearances, but that's neither here nor there. At least you got to actually illustrate the real Kingpin this time. Yeah, no, I got to draw the real guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, first time I drew him, I just kind of drew him as a ball with a head on on him. <laughs> and, you know, because it was just, Sienkiewicz had drawn him in some Daredevil graphic novel. And I was like, oh, he's drawing him as a huge fat ball. I'm going to make him like a huge fat ball. And then the second time I was, I was kind of, looking more at uh, how Ramita had initially drawn him and just like, oh, no, he's supposed to be like this really kind of a burly guy, like a big wrestler of a guy. You know, he's got a big belly, sure, but he's also got big, powerful hands and, and uh, you know, huge shoulders and stuff like that. And he, he should look like he's a formidable kind of guy. A lot of my thinking when I was working on Spider-Man um, – was to try and take the characters and go well, what what does what really benefits Marvel most as I was drawing them, you know to just go well you know having Doctor Octopus be uh, you know a fat slob in tights <laughs> that doesn't really make him a formidable foe for Spider Man it doesn't really and, and that doesn't benefit Marvel as a company and, and that universe. It doesn't make that universe a better universe. What can I do to take these characters and put a coat of shellac on them and make them better versions of what they were? And I tried to do that with any character really that, that um, I came into contact with. And a lot of times it, it meant doing research and finding older comics and going, well, what, what did their face initially look like before they had run through 20 years of various artists watering those things down, you know? Mm -hmm. This is like initially, uh, initially like the vulture had a, had a really interesting, weird looking face. You know, where his his whole lower jaw was just this weird, round, sunken, crazy-looking thing. And, you know, initially, Dr. Octopus had this different-looking face. And initially, um, when the rhino first showed up, he had, you know, his, his two eyes were really far away from each other. And he had this squishy, weird little nose and all these... His, his whole construction of his face was was very unusual and different looking. And so I, all the time when I would do these characters, I would be like, okay, well, I like the way Ramita first drew 
uh, the rhino and facially, and then Herb Trippy had given him kind of this um, rocky, scaly kind of texture that was on his costume when he had drawn him in a couple issues of the Hulk. So I was like, well, I'm going to use this bit from over here and this bit from over here and bring that together and make him just this cooler looking guy than he had been. And, and really that was my goal with a lot of those characters. Um, Flash Thompson over the years had gone from having curly hair to kind of having the, the Steve Rogers comb over that kind of every character had where they just parted it on the side and brushed it over. And it was like, well, let me give him that curly hair that he used to have. Cause that was something as a, as a visual tick that, that made him different from all these other characters. There weren't that many characters that had curly hair at that point. So, hmm. you know, can I do these guys? How do I make them look different from each other? How do I make them unique? And what best benefits my employer? Because ultimately I want to have them be happy with me, happy with my work and, for those books to do better and for those characters to be better for the next guy who works on those things. From an artistic standpoint, which of the, I guess, characters you did during your Amazing Spider-Man run, uh, villain-wise, did you think that you not necessarily struggled with but had the most challenge? Uh, I don't know. I can't, I don't, can't think of one that really... <coughs> That was really like a, a, I mean, I guess Venom, just because he was a pain in the ass to draw. <laughs> um, and I, I, I always thought Venom was really stupid, because I just thought his origin was the dumbest possible thing. You know, there was, a, there was just, it was a reporter, and then it was just so convoluted that it would be, well, I was this reporter, and I was reporting the story about this guy who was pretending that he was the Sin Eater, but he really wasn't the Sin Eater, and then when Spider-Man caught the real Sin Eater, then my story was exposed, and I was kind of I was kind of publicly humiliated, and I lost my job. So I want to kill Spider-Man, because <laughs> Spider-Man caught a bad guy who was murdering other people. That's hmm. like, really? That's your reason? And, and what's the other half? The other half is Spider-Man's lovesick laundry. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like his, his laundry is going, man, when I was, when you were wearing me, I thought we had something. It's like, oh. <laughs> Jesus, this is, this is ridiculous. Now, speaking of Venom then, so you come back in the late 90s just for a couple issues to illustrate Spider-Man, and lo and behold, you're illustrating Venom again. Yeah, because the writer was all like, oh, I got Eric Larson on this. I'm going to give him a Venom story because he loves Venom. And a, and a couple of dudes that had earlier were, were giving me grief about him giving him that long, weird tongue. So I was like, all right, I'll do an issue where he doesn't have that long, weird tongue. And then it, and then people were like, so how come he doesn't have a long, weird tongue in this issue? So I was like, there's, there's just no winning. <laughs> <laughs> also, one of those issues that you came and did, not only did you have Venom back, but you also had, again, black-suited Spider-Man, who, of course, isn't your favorite version of Spider-Man to draw. Yeah, yeah, well, 
well, there's that. Well, also, I used I used um, Venom in Nova when I was doing that. That's right. So, and the reason that I had him in Nova was purely to go, yeah, this is what you do with him. You, you don't shit. You know, this, this is, you know, the reason that he works, and the reason that something that would make him work, that would make him a formidable foe, give him a reason to hate this character, you know? So on mine, it was like, uh, it was far more direct. Like, Nova you know, didn't save his sister. His sister, a, a building collapsed on her and he couldn't save her, and so she died. And it's like, well, that's a reason. You killed his sister, or you think you killed his sister. That's a legitimate reason. Rather than, you know, lovesick laundry, or he caught some murderer and shamed me and I lost my job. It's like, come on, go get a, dust yourself off and go get a new job. Now, how did, how did the the gig doing those few issues of uh, Amazing and Peter Parker come about? Um, that came about uh, because it's, it was a kind of a uh, complicated the way things things generally work. Um, but what ha- what had happened is I was just plowing along doing my regular stuff over at Image Comics, and I got a call from Andy Smith who was friends with Bart Sears. And Bart was drawing Spider-Woman, and they needed somebody to do a fill-in issue on Spider-Woman, and I was the only guy he could think of who could bat out a comic in a short period of time that they needed this comic. So they contacted me and said, hey, can you do this issue of Spider-Woman? And I said, sure, whatever, go ahead. And so they sent me the story for that, and I drew it. And at that point, I was kind of back on Marvel's radar, like, oh, this guy is alive, and he's willing to work with <laughs> us. That's cool. And so I think at that point, the, the guy who was, whoever the editor was on Spider-Man, was contacting me and was like, hey, what about this book? You want to do some issues of that? So I was like, "All right, I'll I'll do three. And they and they basically what had happened was they they wanted somebody somebody new was coming on Spider Man, but they didn't want him to be starting in a hole. So um, they wanted him to be a few months ahead. So what they would do is they they would have somebody do three issues, and so that then the next guy they give him a, a plot at the same time. So he was working three issues ahead and so once my three issues were done suddenly they're they're doing great on the schedule and so when i got that book then i got a call from um another editor saying hey you want to do three issues of thor I was like, oh, Thor, love Thor. I love Thor more than I love Spider-Man. I really do want to do Thor. And I'd get to work with Klaus Janssen, too. And they're like, no, Klaus isn't inking Thor anymore. It's somebody somebody else. So I was like, all right, tell you what, if you can get Klaus Janssen to ink those three issues, I'm your man. If you can't, forget it. And so um, then they came back to me later and said, yeah, we got Klaus. And I was like, oh, man. (laughs) because <laughs> that means I gotta, I'm got i still doing Savage Dragon and I'm doing Spider-Man 
and a million Thor. <laughs> it's going to be a long three months. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that was that was a, a crazy time where I was That's I neat. was writing, penciling, and inking Savage Dragon while I was penciling both Spider Man and Thor. That's an insane workload. That is a yeah. It's an un, un, I would not recommend it to much of anybody if you can if you can not do that. And I guess that's that's right after you done your uh, your stint on Wolverine as well, right? Yeah, but that was that was just writing. So oh, um, that's true. With that with with writing stuff, that that goes a lot faster. You can you can write a comic in a, in a couple days. If you draw a comic in a couple days, it's usually pretty funky. Now, at that point, when you were writing like Nova and Wolverine, what was your writing style like? Like, were you doing just plots or scripts? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It was plot style. It was all plots. So it was, it was fairly fairly open. I would break it down in, into pages. So you know, when the when the guys were drawing it, it would be like, okay, this happens on this page, and this is essentially what goes on and there would be some suggested dialogue if there was dialogue in it at all um so it was it was pretty straightforward and pretty easy to follow i thought and then when the pages came through then i i would go through my my plot pick out whatever dialogue was in there expand on that and off to the races now when you were doing- I, always, I always preferred working plot style and i only uh I only really did a full script on uh, half of an issue of Aquaman because the, the artist had never worked on my plot before and it scared him. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> so that was a little weird. Just, But it was like, okay, if that's what you need, I'll, I can do that. So that was, it was kind of neat because that was, was Jim Aparo who had, who had never drawn from a plot before. Really? So it was like, all right. If that's what you need. I will. I will do you up. That's actually surprising because he's. You know, he was. He'd been around a while. I would have assumed he had been around. He and, and but the DC style um, uh, was always guys writing full scripts. And when they, especially him earlier on, he was not only uh, penciling most of the stuff he did. He was also lettering and inking all of his own stuff for years. So. You know, you can't really be lettering pages and placing where the balloons go unless you know what everybody's saying. I guess it's true. Wow, that's that's he did all of that. Yeah, that that's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. But he was, I mean, he was a page a day guy. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, wasn't a crazy amount because he's he's just going in and you know getting his page done. Now, when you moved on to, I guess, what you had termed before Todd's book um, to do Revenge of the Sinister Six, how did you kind of choose the characters you ended up kind of bringing into that book? Because you have kind of a, a, an interesting assortment and motley crew of characters. Well, um, in, in terms of that, it, the, my initial, I, my pitch to it was um, Walton and Arthur Adams had done this new Fantastic Four Thing. And so my pitch to them was basically, let's do the new Fantastic Four versus the Sinister Six. And then the editor who I was working with uh, was not able to secure Wolverine. <laughs> so <laughs> like, all right, well, I can't have Wolverine, then what? 
Um, and so eventually it, it, it became something else just because it needed to be something else. And um, how much fun was it to write that story? Because, I mean, if you read it, it's definitely a gas. It seems like you're just having a, a ton of fun just throwing stuff on the page. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was definitely – yeah, I was, I was basically writing stand-up doing all the Spider-Man stuff there. And I did, I did kind of run out of gas as it goes along. You know, the, the last issue, it just seems like, all right, <laughs> I think this guy's, I think this guy's set is over. He's, he's got no more jokes to tell. Um, but it, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun working on that. Well, uh, Eric, thank you so much for talking about your, your time on Spider-Man. I do hope we can uh, connect at some point uh, to do, because there's so much other stuff you've done. Obviously, Savage Dragon is the hugest thing that we haven't even talked about. Uh, so I do want to talk about that in the new year at some point. But I did want to make sure we kind of got the, the Spider-Man uh, part of it out of the way. And thank you so much for regaling us with uh, some really interesting <laughs> stories and insight. Uh, sure. Thanks for calling. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. All right. You're quite welcome. That was, uh, yeah, so I, again, as I said, I do hope to have you on because I do want to talk about Savage Dragon as well, but I was under a time crunch with the Spider-Man stuff, so uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It was really insightful, and uh, I'm a huge fan of your work on Spider-Man and Savage Dragon and basically anything you've touched. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, well, thanks a lot. So thank you so much, and uh, I'll be in touch in the new year. Have a happy new year, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye-bye.